Hi, listeners. Dr. Amy Horneman here, aka The Thyroid Fixer and host of The Thyroid Fixer podcast. I'm here to tell you about my experience working with Rachel Varga one-on-one with my skin. I am a self-proclaimed anti-aging skincare addict, and I have spent thousands of dollars on the wrong skincare, always falling prey to those ads that promise to reduce your wrinkles and smooth your fine lines. Working with Rachel, I'm telling you, she is a guide. She takes your hand. She personalizes your entire skincare regimen, really looking at your skin and how it is and what your goals are. She listens to you. And that's the most important part of this journey. It's unlike anything I have ever experienced. In fact, there's nothing out there like it. Rachel is an angel in this world. She will absolutely transform your skin You will reach your goals of skincare, whether it's reducing wrinkles or clearing up acne or just looking good on camera. That's what I need. So head over to rachelvarga.ca and book your one-on-one consult with her. You will not regret it. It will be the best thing that you do for your skin. You're listening to the Rachel Varga podcast. I'm your host as a board certified aesthetic nurse specialist. My husband, Gabriel Varga, who's a six time pro world champion kickboxer is also joining us today for a very special live interview with Dave and Lana Asprey. If you don't know who Dave Asprey is, he is the founder and chairman of Bulletproof. He's a three-time New York Times best-selling science author, host of the Webby award-winning podcast Bulletproof Radio, and has been featured on the Today Show, CNN, the New York Times, Dr. Oz, and more. Over the last two decades, Dave also known as the father of biohacking, has worked with world-renowned doctors, researchers, scientists, and global mavericks to uncover the latest, most innovative methods, techniques, and products for enhancing mental and physical performance. Dave has personally spent nearly $2 million taking control of his own biology, pushing the bounds of human possibility all in the name of science and evolution. He's the creator of the Bulletproof Diet and innovator of Bulletproof Coffee, which I enjoy every single day collagen protein supplements, and many more advancements in commercial wellness products. Dave's mission is to empower the entire globe with information and knowledge that unlocks the superhuman in everyone at any age. I definitely recommend that you get your hands on a copy of his book, Superhuman. I love that book. The proof of these advancements are better sleep, energy, and expanded capacity for all. Be a better parent, partner, provider, and overall human being in every aspect of life. That's what we're all about right here on the Rachel Varga podcast. Be proof, be bulletproof. Through the Bulletproof Diet, Dave has maintained a 100-pound weight loss, improved his sleep, and upgraded his brain, ultimately transforming himself into a better entrepreneur, a better husband, and a better father. Dave has helped hundreds of thousands of people perform at levels far beyond what they'd expect and without burning out at both ends. In addition to hosting Bulletproof Radio, a Webby award-winning podcast, Dave is currently serving as the founder, CEO, and chairman of six health, wellness, and biohacking companies. Please head over to DaveAsprey.com for information about the world of Dave Asprey, and don't forget to register for his 14-day sleep challenge. Lana Asprey, MD, is the wife of Dave Asprey, and she's a mother of two shockingly healthy children, very beautiful children, I might add and a Carolinsa-trained physician who runs an international natural fertility and healthy pregnancy consulting practice. After completing her MD at Karolinska, 
Lana practiced family medicine and internal medicine in Stockholm. She helps couples recover fertility and have healthier pregnancies and better babies using the natural techniques that she helped to pioneer in order to have her own healthy children later in life. Her techniques are now outlined in her book, The Better Baby Book. She is the former medical director of a medical testing company evaluating neurological immunity to environmental factors and practiced medicine in Stockholm, Sweden. She speaks internationally on topics of nutrition and early childhood to create healthy children, healthy parents, and healthy families. Through the daily contact she has with people who are searching to regain their health, energy, and fertility, Lana has gathered a deep understanding of the link that exists between environment, diet, and health. She also holds an MS from the Stockholm School of Economics. What an accomplished couple and what a treat to have them right here on the Rachel Varga podcast. Dave Asprey was gracious enough to have me on his show, Bulletproof Radio, episode 668, a few months ago. And it's such a treat to have them here today with my husband and I. And we're just going to have a real conversation with one another, how we keep each other balanced, how they actually integrate biohacking into their life. These are questions that I've never heard anybody else talk about in interviews. And you're going to get this exclusive interview right here on the Rachel Varga podcast. Let's get started. Welcome, Lana. Welcome, Dave. This is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And I'm eternally grateful to both of you for really showing me this incredible way of learning and supporting ourselves, the way that we perform our self-care and that impact that that can have on others in our communities. And we're interviewing here with my husband, Gabriel Varga. So, yeah, welcome. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Thank you, Rachel. I'm happy to be here. Mm-hmm. So we have a number of questions from some of your avid listeners, and we're going to be diving into some really interesting aspects because I see you together, and I just see that love that you guys both have for one another, the support that you give each other, both in your personal and professional avenues, and. I really want to first ask you, what are some of your rituals, like your morning and evening rituals, how you start the day, how you end the day? And because high-functioning individuals do have some pretty cool cultivated self-care practices. So please, what are your morning and evening routines together? Are you sort of assuming our morning routines together? Well, you probably do them separately, but I would love to hear from each of you what you do. He and makes what you me make coffee. Together. It's really, really important. Uh, that's true. I, I do make coffee. <laughs> you do. Uh, but it, it, it's kind of funny because waking up in the morning, it takes a little while to sort of come out of your own sleep state, mm. right? And for me, like I like to wake up and I will check my data on my sleep as soon as I wake up. And... I keep the phone off until, I used to say, until we drop the kids off at school, Um, but that doesn't really happen anymore. But still, until I sort of enter work mode, I keep my phone on airplane mode. Um, So there's no social media and things like that. And it's pretty much wake up, um, you know, wake up the kids if they're not already awake, uh, take some supplements, make some bulletproof coffee, (laughs) make coffee for Lana and the kids. If I'm not intermittent fasting, um, maybe make breakfast or have breakfast, but usually I'm intermittent fasting, so do that. And then uh, I don't do a lot of morning meditation and stuff like that. I'll do some morning 
self upgrades sort of after I go into work mode, I'll go off into the labs and I'll do, you know, half hour of something that improves my physical or mental state and then go to work. What do you think, Lana? What did I miss? Uh, lately, you've started doing something that's really, really good, which is Tai Chi. Actually, that's true. And uh, sauna. It depends on kids. Like, the answers would be totally different if we didn't have kids. Mm -hmm. um, I used to wake up at, you know, five in the morning because I'd heard a, an incorrect rumor that people who woke up early <laughs> were better than people who woke up late. <laughs> it, it turns out, really, the early bird works for the late bird. Mm -hmm. It's not about getting the worm. It's about you get the worm, but you have to give it to the guy who slept in. And that's at least my perspective on things. Very cool. So, um, so there's no moral superiority in that. But um, I've been waking up and my son, who's uh, 10, now comes up at about 7.15, 7.30. And then we'll do uh, Tai Chi and meditation together, which is really cool. Sort of father-son bonding stuff, which is, uh, which is really neat. So uh, I'll just teach him you know, basic meditation things. And then, uh, of course, he'll make me a shot of espresso at the beginning of that because who can meditate without coffee? That's I hear horrifying. You. <laughs> <laughs> and you and do sauna and you read the daily stoic. That's a good point too. Yeah, yeah, we'll sit in the sauna for an hour too, which is uh, kind of funny. Maybe forty-five minutes is all he can really do. He's only ten. But um, yeah, then usually we'll read a thing from Ryan Holiday's book, um, who's uh, a friend who's been on, on my show. Uh, about stoicism and it's kind of neat to read you know ancient um, greek history stuff to a 10 year old who's mostly interested if he's not doing a rubik's cube so <laughs> and then it's usually we'll do that and then we'll come in uh come in and like more get engaged on family stuff and the whole pandemic thing has shaken up things quite a bit so yeah. it's mm -hmm. more important to spend quality kid time now i have a question around that that's coming a little bit later because that's impacted pretty well everyone's life on the planet things are not as they used to be oh yeah mm -hmm. lana what about you what are your routines like well, mine are pretty similar i mean when school was on we would do what dave says we'd wake up we'd um, have our coffee we'd connect with the children talk to the children make sure they had breakfast take them to school but now with no school they now have started doing their Tai Chi. Our daughter's a teenager. She wants to sleep in, just like all teenagers do. So suddenly, for the first time in 13 years, I have an hour to myself in the morning. It's like, what do I do now? So I have my coffee. I have my bulletproof matcha. I usually intermittent fast. And I've taken up my journaling again, which I used to do religiously. So now I've doing it again and then I actually where do you my... like to journal outside or inside well if the weather's good I always journal mm -hmm. outside and I preferably go to the garden because uh, we have a really beautiful garden lots of things growing lots of flowers lots of bees um, if it's not so nice and maybe rainy and chilly I'll light a fire in a fireplace mm -hmm. and uh, listen to the wood crackling and then I drink more matcha and do my journaling I want to make sure we're not like journal shaming anyone here if you have kids under about 13, you're pretty much screwed on having a morning routine. <laughs> that, that's just how it is. Well, that's why I said in the first yeah. time in 13 years, because right. you're, you're entertaining the 10-year-old with Tai Chi and stoicism. That's why I get an hour to myself. And, and with, <laughs> with school, it's funny. We talked about going back to school, and uh, our son was like, oh, my God, that school starts at 8.30. I don't want to do it. Because mm -hmm. you're supposed to allow kids to sleep and to sleep in, especially teenagers. And all the science supports a 9.30 start time for school as kids are healthier, happier, 
uh, better metabolisms, better learning, less fights. Everything possibly good could happen from letting kids sleep a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And they're all getting it now. And the parents are seeing results during the pandemic. And then the schools are going to say, we're going to do it. And all of a sudden, we're going to be like, why are we waking up in the middle of the night and forcing our kids out of bed with a pitchfork and you know shoving some food in them while we're driving them to school and doing this five days a week, nine months of the year, which is destructive of circadian rhythm. It destroys the peace and the calm of the morning. Uh, so uh, frankly, I would pay extra to send my kids to school that didn't start at 8.30. And I think almost everyone listening would unless they had a job that made it so they had to do it. Mm-hmm. And I bet if you asked your job for most jobs, it's negotiable. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. That's been one of the upsides for us, that the children actually got to stay home, sleep in, and we all get much more relaxed mornings where we have time for actual rituals and relaxation. Thank you for sharing your morning routines. I don't actually think I've ever heard you guys both say that, so it's really cool to hear. What about your evening routines? How do you wind down? How do you set yourself up for your rejuvenation, regeneration phase while you sleep? Well... We usually put the children to bed together. So after dinner, we do our chores, make sure the kitchen doesn't look like a disaster area. Um, We teach the kids to put away things as much as we can. Lately, we've instituted this, are you grateful for something that happened to another person, not just to you? That's what we're talking about. Uh, So every night, Mm -hmm. since the kids were probably pre-verbal, we would say, all right, what are some things you're grateful for? Tell us three things you're grateful for. And so this has been going on for 13 years. And it's very hard for kids to go to sleep afraid and worried when they're thinking about whatever they're grateful for. And it's ranged from, you know, I'm grateful we had steak or, you know, very trivial things to one time, I'm grateful for the Big Bang because without it, there wouldn't be anything. At this age, kids' egos start to kick in and and it's like, I'm grateful I got this and I got that and So we just turned on this. All right, guys, you're going to be grateful that someone else got what they wanted. And it's so funny because kids will be like, I'm grateful that they got what I gave them. And look at me. <laughs> you can yeah. see like the little egos working themselves in there. And they're like, no, that one wasn't good. You've got to actually find something that the other person wanted that you didn't do. And you can see they're shifting as their brains just become aware of, of that. The ability to think, what did that person want for them instead of what did I want for them? Mm. So it's teaching those things at bedtime, but in a way that calms their nervous system so they can grow into people who are emotionally aware of what others want. It doesn't mean they're always going to get it, but at least they know instead of, you know, walking around. uh, You did a fantastic podcast recently talking about how much better we feel when we give to others, when we do kind gestures for other things. And I thought that was a fantastic lesson to share with everyone. So I think that's great that you're sharing that with with your kids. We've been doing that, as Dave says, ever since pretty much day one. And we, well, Dave made up this song called Loves. So we sing the Loves song to them still. Even our 13-year-old still wants it. And uh, after that, depending on what time it is and what else we have planned, I sometimes go and do the hyperbaric Mm -hmm. or... um, we do some biohacking or we watch a TV show. And what you probably don't know is that Lana actually likes science fiction. So that's when, true. Which I is really pretty do. Cool. Are we both Trekkies, Lana? Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, uh, and, that's, and also this is, Star this is, Wars. She's posing. <laughs> she's actually a Star Wars fan. She'll that's she'll true. make do uh, with uh, with Star Trek, but now she's really Star Wars. Have you ever dressed up as Princess Leia? 
I have never dressed up as a princess Leia, <laughs> but I did dress Anna up as sort of kind of a princess Leia, and she thought it was moderately interesting. Didn't I buy you a C-3PO bathing suit once? No, you bought me C-3PO pants for Burning Man. Oh, there you go. I was going to say something. It's pretty funny. close. Yeah, yeah. you did. So sure, but the last thing I do before I go to sleep, well, I read for a while with my red light. Mm-hmm. Is there something, because I always struggle with sleep, personally, not sleeping through the night, but I've found, especially since I was a teenager, when I put my head on the pillow, I could be feeling really tired. As soon as Mm -hmm. my head touches the pillow, I'm I'm up. I'm ready. My brain starts going into overdrive. So is there something, is that ever occurred to you or is there something you've found that helps calm you and sets you on that path to sleep? Because some people say, you know, I touch the pillow and I'm out. Have you ever thought of getting a new pillow? Um, pillows, pillows, pillows and beds are. He doesn't sleep with God. the pillow like I do. Have you tried to get a new pillow? Yeah. So, um, I've written a bunch of of things about sleep hacking. A lot of the oh, stuff yeah. you read about how to hack your sleep and all that—they're just like like echoes of this advice that came out of um, either studies or just self experiments. And I've measured my own sleep every night for fourteen years. And Lana's been really patient with this because I used to do it with like headbands and stuff that are probably not Victoria's Secret approved. And now I just do it with a ring, which is a little bit easier. And so you look at that. Okay, I, I have thoughts before I go to bed. It's quite often what happened for the hour or two before bed. And the thing that really makes a difference there is so important. And so it was hard to buy um, that I ended up starting a company that does it. The company's called True Dark, and we make glasses that put you to sleep. So you put these on an hour or so before bed, and then your brain goes out of, and we can measure this at the neuroscience company <laughs> that I have. Um, after about 15 minutes of wearing them, my brain will shift from beta, which is what your brain is doing when you're doing this. This is sort of the, and of course, you're a fighter, right? That the Fighters are naturally in, in beta mode, which is the athletic, highly alert, you're ready to handle anything like that. So it'll drop you into alpha. You'll see an increase in the amplitude of alpha brainwaves and even some theta come on. So it's a light color thing. That's a big part of it. And you also live on Vancouver Island. So if you look outside right now, it's 11 o'clock at night. There's plenty of light enough to keep you awake. So for me, I always, for two hours before night, I am wearing my glasses religiously because if I don't, my deep sleep goes from an hour and a half to two hours per night down to a half hour. And it's all about that. the time to go to sleep goes way down. But the other thing is, and so that's biological. The other thing that really works for that kind of sleep uh, challenge is you actually just write down the list of things that you're going to do tomorrow or the list, the list of things you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Dr. Robin Benson, she shared that in oh, her you? recent interview with oh, very me. Cool. Part of her sleep acronym, the P for planning for the next day. Yeah. So you have your sleep dialed in really nicely. It takes me about Which three minutes to go to sleep every night. Rachel does too, but what about you, Lana? Is it is it you both have it dialed in? Because Rachel and I have had times where we've had to, you know, correct each other and be like, you know what, I need to really work on my sleep and I need you to almost be on board with what I'm doing because it doesn't always work if just one couple's or one part of the couple's doing it. Because mm-hmm. you can get interrupted or Well, Dave for the longest time would never go to bed before one thirty two o'clock. That was his, you know, he was like, weak people go to sleep at 11 o'clock. That would have been me then, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, so he would stay up. So I would just go to bed before he did. And then he'd come to bed whenever he was ready. And then he After I started another company, I would just go right to bed. (laughs) What was that like for you? When you would go to bed and Dave would still be working? Because I see some overlap here with Gabe and I. Well, there's 
going to bed, and then it's like going to bed. Right, right. right. And, and so you do one of those and you can get up and do the other one. And so that's, that's actually an important thing because a mm-hmm. lot of people associate that, you know, you have to be in the same bedroom, you have to go to bed at the same time. And for a lot of them, that means, well, if we don't do that, we're not intimate, we're not romantic, something's wrong with the relationship. If you have that expectation, then it creates a lot of stress. If you realize that, oh, hold on, the romance and the intimacy, we can schedule that or do it whenever we feel like. And it has actually nothing to do when we go to bed. So if one of us naturally goes to bed at one o'clock in the morning and the other one's like, no way, if I did that, I'd be thrashed. I want to go to bed at 1030. That's okay. And we just came to terms with that very early on in our relationship because it was so obvious how different that was. Plus, you know, we early on, what within two years of dating, we had Anna. Yeah, yeah. once much. you have kids, your uh, sleep life is ruined for years and years, for real. Uh, this is really encouraging. Those first two years, it, it's, I mean, quite often, because we had our, our babies sleep in the same room, I would go sleep in a different room. Uh, so, and the only thing was, okay, I'm going to be out, you know, earning money for the family, and if I'm waking up every time Lana wakes up, then both of us are zombified. Well, first of all, work. you didn't wake up. I mean, the baby could be mewling and you would be <laughs> still fast asleep. And I'd be the one who was like, how is this possible? How is he still asleep? But My sleep monitor would glitch in the morning. Oh, and see yeah, a little bump. totally. <laughs> right. Anyway, but what he's saying is actually correct. Uh, even if he didn't wake up, it would still impact the quality of his sleep. So mm-hmm. I did say that to him, like, what's the point? I'm breastfeeding every two to three hours around the clock. Why should that be disturbing you? Right, just mm-hmm. go and sleep in, in in a different room while I have the baby while I'm breastfeeding through the night. Right, so we did that, so it was fine. But once you have children, your sleep patterns change a lot. We're finally pretty much on the same page, going to bed at almost the same time and waking up similarly, yeah. which I thought would never happen. Focusing <laughs> on the the quality of sleep for each person in a relationship was one of the easiest ways to make a relationship work better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I'm doing a sleep challenge right now, daveasprey.com slash sleep challenge, uh, where I'm teaching thousands of people all of the tricks that I know about uh, how to go to sleep, stay asleep, and all that. Sign us up. Because I mean, it, it's really <laughs> complex. One of you sleeps hot, and the other one you sleeps cold. Unless you either have a technology solution or separate blankets or separate beds or separate bedrooms, you will never sleep well. And we just, need separate blankets. There you go, right? <laughs> it's true. Uh, and you know, maybe one of you needs a heating blanket or a cooling thing. And I, I talked about that in the sleep challenge. The amazing thing is we don't think about it. When you snores, you better get that fixed because snoring will kill you, but it'll also kill your partner. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it's not that hard to fix it. And some of those are things that you know about. Other ones are, you know, you can get tape that you put over your mouth. It's amazing, you don't snore if your mouth is taped closed. You're like, what? Well, yeah, I do that. Not necessarily stop snoring, but because it increases oxygen in my brain, and Lana thinks I look sexy with tape on my mouth. I it actually looks mind. really bizarre. You wake up in the morning, you look over and, you know, mouth taped. So like the Matrix, where Neo loses his mouth? <laughs> so if, that would be very creepy, please don't do that. that. <laughs> if, if you have different sleep requirements, don't take that personally as some sort of a barometer of how your relationship is doing. It's nothing to do with the relationship. It's to do with you. Make sure you get your sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so everybody make sure that you take Dave Asprey Sleep, sleep Challenge. Where do you sign up? Dave Asprey, A-S-P-R-E-Y dot com slash sleep challenge. Uh, and it's, you know, a teaching every day for 14 days on a private Facebook group. 
where you can go in and do it. I'll be doing two Q and A's as a part of that with people, as well as just a big community of people who are working on the challenge. So I'm actually kind of excited because I've been writing about it for so long and 14 years of data and saying, what does this do? What is it about this peptide? What about hard cases? What's the 3 a.m. wake up? Because we've pretty much, one or both of us experienced all of those. And I was just a terrible sleeper. And I've managed to shift my natural circadian rhythm, so I go to bed way earlier than is actually natural for me, and I'm okay with doing that. And I've managed to become a 5 a.m. waker for two years, and all of that's doable. Um, it's just a question of knowing how, and that's part of biohacking. When I was younger, is everybody was almost proud at how terrible their sleep cycle was. It was like a source oh, of pride. Like, oh, yeah, I, I was like that. To, I only need to sleep three hours a night. And they'd tell me, and they're like, yeah, chest out. And I'm going, well, I have to sleep eight hours a night. Plus, I take a nap during the day mm. so I can function and train properly. Uh-huh. That's because you're under a heavy load with training. That's part of it. Oh, of course. But it, it is nice to see people, you know, recognizing how important sleep is and getting other people I, on board because it's so important. I, I do want to be clear, though. I'm not saying sleep more because the people who sleep, or the people who live the longest sleep six and a half hours a night. Six and a half? Yeah. They, they actually die less than people who sleep eight hours a night. Way it, less. And then when they say, because I've heard multiple studies on how long you're supposed to sleep. And for me, if you told me to sleep six and a half hours a night. I, I wouldn't with your training schedule. Yeah, so it just it depends on it, the output that your body's going yeah. through. Or, you have to heal a lot. And also healthier people need less sleep. That's all that says. Okay. It doesn't mean sleeping less is good for you. Yeah. And for me, I started Bulletproof when I was getting about four hours of sleep a night for about two years. <sighs> and I did that on purpose because I wanted to do a sleep experiment. And also... <laughs> because I timed that with the birth of our second child because like your sleep's already going to be ruined for the first year. So I have a year to hack my sleep anyway, because it's already going to be garbage sleep. And I absolutely see people over and over and over who, you know, they sleep eight hours, they sleep 10 hours, but you look at, you only got a half hour of dreams in that whole time. And it's mostly just a waste of time laying there. And that's where the real value comes in. So for me, that wasn't good. I slept six hours and, about five minutes for 10 years straight on average. And that's what my body needs when I'm healthy. And when I'm not healthy, I need way more. So uh, Lana's just not the same. She's she's weaker. Yeah, I'm totally weaker. <laughs> I, uh, I was always very good at sleeping no matter what. So I would sleep my seven and a half, eight hours, solid sleep and always wake up and refreshed. It was great. And I did that whether I was working as an emergency room doctor, whether terrible things were happening in my life, when I got divorced for the first time, nothing touched my sleep. And because of that, I didn't realize how fortunate I was that I had this fabulous sleep. And then I went into perimenopause and my female hormones started going all over the place. And all of a sudden, I started waking up at hot flushes at three o'clock in the morning. And then I couldn't go back to sleep for 45 minutes. I said, what on earth is this? This is horrible. And now I'm tired and I'll have to be getting up in another three and a half hours to prep kids for school. This is just dreadful. And you know what? I tried so many things and usually something helped for two or three months and then your hormones shift again because it's a moving target. So what helped three months ago doesn't help anymore. The best thing I learned was that if I did wake up during the night at three or whatever, four o'clock, Instead of stressing, obsessing about it, just lie down and think that, oh, I'm grateful. I now get to be here and either listen to an audiobook or think about something interesting or do my breathing exercises, uh, meditate on what I would like to accomplish tomorrow or a trip we're going to go on and just see it as instead disruptive sleep. You see it as 
a time to yourself in the middle of the night to relax. Eh? Hold on. Oh, when sorry. I started doing that, guess what? My stress went way down and I would usually fall asleep within 20 to 30 minutes again. And then I would sleep till 7 o'clock. And sure, it would be better to sleep throughout the night, but I wasn't nearly as tired. Hmm. Uh, For years, I think Lana had post-traumatic sleep disorder, <laughs> which is fear of being tired. Hmm. And a lot of us learn that when we're young, right? And it's so true. you get this voice in, in your head that says, oh, I'm yeah. so tired, it's the end of the world. This is terrible. Yeah. Right? And the reality is you're tired and you're going to make it just fine through the day. And you're just going to put one foot from the other and then get some more sleep tonight. Uh -huh. But the fear of lack of sleep is itself a mind killer. So Lana did a huge amount of work over that to the point she could just wake up and be grateful for it instead of waking up and just being afraid of it, which keeps you awake longer and then makes you the next morning suffer about it. So it was that's cool to totally that true. The first time that happened, what he's referring to this fear of not having had sleep is when we had our first child and I was up one morning and uh, I was barely functioning and I was in the kitchen and he looks at me and he says, what's wrong? And I said, I'm so tired. I barely slept. She was up every two hours. This is horrible. And then he looks at me and says, what do you need to do today? I said, oh, I don't know, I'm going to take care of her. I'm so tired. He's like, can you fry an egg? <laughs> I look at him like, what do you mean, can I fry an egg? What sort of a question is this? And he says, no, I'm serious, honey. Can you fry an egg? I said, of course I can fry an egg. He's like, great. Start by frying an egg for yourself. Then make yourself a cup of tea. Take it from there. And you know what? That was so shocking. It shocked me straight out of this. Oh, my God, I'm so tired. And I realized, can I fry an egg? Of course I can fry an egg. Can I pick up this child and go for a little walk with the dogs in her? Of course I can do that. I was like, yeah, I'll get through my day. I'm so glad that works because the next step was the taser. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, I, I, I've used that on other people now, you know, in my fertility, mm -hmm. the coaching with new moms. It's one of my questions is, can you fry an egg? It was like, it. what? I'll definitely be picking your brain in that department in a couple yeah. of years when Gabe and I are ready for that. All right, our next question comes from Katie Type A. She's a self-professed biohacker and probably one of your biggest fans. And hey, Katie. <laughs> she was absolutely ecstatic that I was going to be asking you both some questions. So this first one is for her. Is there a particular biohack Dr. Lana does that Dave doesn't do? I don't track my menstrual cycle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that makes sense. It's such a fertile ground for biohacking. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> yeah. It was so good. I get dad joke points. That was a good one. That's entirely true, though. I really do track my cycle and in excruciating detail, including how do I feel and did I get more annoyed and irritable and whatever. But actually, sadly, I think other than my matcha, which you rarely drink, my, that's my biggest biohack that you don't do, drinking matcha. Uh, I, I love matcha. I just don't, I drink bulletproof coffee every morning. Yeah. Um, Talking to sheep, I guess that's my other one. That's not a biohack. Reiki with your sheep. Uh, totally, yeah. Reiki with my sheep. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I would have to say that all the biohacks I know, I have learned from Dave. Lana hates electrical stimulation. Oh, that is, no, no, she asked, what do I do that yeah. you don't? Oh, was it the other way around? Oh. Yeah. But that way works. I, I think it was, well. she asked both of us, right? I think this is, where are you going with this? So I will use an electrical current to fix torn muscles or mm -hmm. tendons or anything that hurts, stuff in the back, or just to put on muscle. Like you can raise your butt by two inches. You can put, um, you know, an inch or two on a bicep very easily. In fact, 
Gabriel, if I like spend a day with you with this this uh, device that I have, it's called the Newbie uh, from NewFit, and it's it's insane. It'll push muscles that you don't have. And I've I've worked with you know, Sayat Kali, you know, knife fighting masters and all. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe that this is possible. You put those electrodes on Lana, and she just screams and refuses to do it. So she has an aversion to electrical current, and I haven't solved that one yet. But she likes nature. Maybe that's just how she. <laughs> yeah, I like nature. That's true. Yeah. I like the sound of the results. I mean, it yeah. does sound painful. I'm, I'm imagining you know, an actual torture treatment here. Though I can I, tell you, when we had somebody come for, to the downstairs of Alpha Labs to measure it for, for shades, because we get a lot of sun in, so we're going to put in blinds. Um, he was doing electrical stim upstairs, and the sounds that were coming out of there was like a torture chamber, and this lady's yeah. like... I'm afraid to ask what is going <laughs> on up there. I said, this is nothing. It's just my husband shocking himself with electrodes. So really, I said, oh, don't worry. It's, it's all medically approved. I, I did uh, once do some work on a special forces guy. And he had a shoulder injury for, for 10 months. So I said, all right, we, we can do this. And, of course, these guys are incredibly tough. So he... He's like, I'm going to turn it up some more. Like, I'm going to do the work. And finally, he just screams, like, at the top of his lungs, like, ah, and does the motion that his body believed he couldn't do. And then we turn the machine off, and he goes, my shoulder, I have full range of motion. This is amazing. Like, I'm, I'm fixed. Yeah. Uh, but, but then he says, I've been waterboarded. I've been tortured. I, I've been trained and everything, and nothing's ever made me scream except for that damn machine. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, but it doesn't have to hurt yeah. like that. But even just the mild stuff mm. where, I mean, I've been to JJ's, JJ Virgin's uh, Mindshare event and I'm like, hey, you know, free buttock grades. And like there are people, oh, let me do 10 squats with electrodes on yeah. my glutes and, and my quads. And magically like your butt goes zoop. That's the way of the future. That's yeah. where regenerative medicine, anti-aging, aesthetic medicine, that's, that's a huge part of it right now is how can we stimulate our muscles to get bigger better muscles mm -hmm. without actually going Request to the time. gym and yeah. here we are saying this in front of a pro athlete i, I love the gym <laughs> i love workout i i would love to have everything become easier you know the muscles i, I can save you time much quicker but yeah. yeah but if somebody told me i could do it all without putting in the effort i'd be like no uh, the whole fun for me is the effort part mm -hmm. that's that's my so favorite you're part. a masochist i totally get it maybe basically maybe <laughs> <laughs> Did Lana approve of you, Dave, always calling her Dr. Lana on the podcast? It's easy. He never asked. He just did it. It's like, why do I need her approval? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just curious. That was a question I had come in. There's some fun ones here. Are there any categories of biohacks where Lana puts her foot down and says, no, Dave? I don't think she's allowed to do that. <laughs> she's a licensed physician but she's not my position so she does not have that as long as I'm conscious it's we've, not her say we've had some conversations where I've asked him are you sure this is going to be safe can you show me who's used this before with where their results etc etc but no I don't think we've ever had any do you need a grounded outlet for this machine <laughs> uh, we have our electrician do all that I mean, so that's all good we we do talk about stuff that yeah. I'm going to do uh, and I'll, I'll say you know what do you think from a medical perspective and all but frankly biohacking is different than medicine it, medicine is one of the branches of this but you know, there's deep sea divers who are doing amazing breathing techniques yeah. that change things medicine they don't teach about that they don't mm -hmm. teach about nutrition like I did all the we had I did all the cooking whole, to get you pregnant. Shush. We had a whole <laughs> week of nutrition 
the whole and, week. Uh, the Karolinska Institute. 40 hours of nutrition. I don't understand what you're talking about. The whole 40 hours? Yeah, mm-hmm. and Swedish nutrition is potatoes and spoiled fish. <laughs> I, I totally get it. But What you were getting in Paris, sorry to interject, yeah. but there is a huge difference between the biohacking world and the medical world. Oh, enormous. I feel so sorry for physicians these days. Because, because people like Dave oh, and his, not only his people like colleagues that. that push the boundaries. It, there's so many innovate. people now. It's social media and all of that's what's available. They come along and I, I just feel so sorry for these medical doctors when they go, can I do this? Can I do that? What if I combine this? And, and it, all of these things always say, ask your physician yeah, before proceeding. And I'm just always thinking, none of these doctors know anything about this. It's just not part of the medical mm-hmm. curriculum. Mm-hmm. Unless they themselves are interested mm-hmm. in biohacking. They, they won't know. Mm-hmm. But it really is the way of the future. It's that self-care element to it. And if you look at the number of doctors, like functional medicine in particular, who have mm-hmm. superhuman, you know, my anti-aging book or um, the other one, um, Headstrong, um, the one that's about how your brain works in mitochondria, and they're giving it to their patients. Mm-hmm. So, and you, know, you turn it over, there's real doctors who recommend it on the back. So at least the crossover is happening where I think most doctors... Um, want to be healers. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be mm-hmm. uh, cash registers and they don't like three minute visits and they want to actually help people and they're looking for ways to do it and they're realizing that there's power in what they know and there's limitations in what they know. So I'm actually really hopeful on that. It just has to be without insurance companies. And if you work for an insurance company, a health insurance company, you're listening to this, shame on you. <laughs> I think ultimately, Rachel, the answer to He's your question. You're such a disruptor. <laughs> of course. <clears throat> thrives on it. Yeah. I think ultimately, Rachel, the answer to your question is I, I trust Dave and he has common sense and I know that he wants to see his kids grow mm-hmm. up and he wants to be around and he says he wants to live to 180. So I kind of trust that he's not going to do something so stupid. It'll, you know, knock him out and drop him dead. So mm-hmm. off he goes. She made me buy life insurance. So we have, uh, we're going to play a little devil's advocate here. So Gabriel uh-huh. is very skeptical of you being able to live to 180. 180. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm questioning it. Is, 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 is 180 like Rachel and she goes on and people ask her and she's like, oh, how old are you? And she goes, oh, I, I'm 50. And she's kind of joking. Is it just an <laughs> arbitrary number or did it actually aiming it, for 180? It's actually aiming to at least 180. At least 180. So... When I looked up the other day, now this might be misinformation because everything on the internet is, who it's knows true, who wrote it. for sure. But it said that I believe the oldest living person right now is 100 and, was it 17? And they are five years behind the oldest person ever recorded. Yeah, 122. Is that correct? 122, yep. That is correct. Okay. That was the French lady who smoked and drank and all. Is <laughs> yeah. that her? Yeah. Uh-huh. We just watched something the other day on the, uh, the area in the world Blue where sounds. people live. The longest, and yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the results you were thinking. You're going, oh, they're going to the spot where loads of people are living to 100 and over, and why is it happening? And it wasn't because they were crazy fit, crazy this, crazy that. You know, I would think Rachel they have lots of carbs. It's not very keto yeah, friendly. Yeah, carbs. They have their wine every day. They're not exercising like I would. I always expect uh-huh. that. I should live really long because of the work I put in, but then Rach reminds me sometimes that I could actually be damaged. Got a lot of oxidative stress going uh, on. Over overtraining is a major issue for aging. For, for but it. but the real thing that no one talks about in the blue zones is guess what the most common factor across all of the blue zones is? I know. Yeah, okay, you know without be cheating. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what beans. It it's not it's some community. It's, it's not it's purpose. purpose. It's not community. It's not life purpose. Nope. Oh. Low income, bad records. Bad records. Bad record keeping. 
There are a substantial number of people oh. who take over their parents' identity to avoid taxes oh. on their houses. So it turns out that almost every one of those countries with this amazing number of long-lived people, they just don't have birth certificates that are very good. Oh. Well, <laughs> Even in California? That's, a, oh, no, there's, that's, there's that's a the most common thing. In, in, in California, in that blue zone, no, but I think that's a light blue zone compared to some of the other ones. Oh, it's a light but one. if you look across <laughs> most of them, that is the common thing because there isn't a common diet across all of them. And people like to kind of force fit things and all that. Yeah. Clearly, community matters. There's a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. But let's go. So the best we can do today is 122, right? 122, from what I've heard. I mean, yeah. Okay. So girl, girl, Gabriel, right now is the naysayer. So, yeah. so let, <laughs> let's go back to 120 years ago. Okay, the years, let's say 1900, give or take. Okay. See, no one can spell DNA because it hasn't been invented. All right. We don't know what mitochondria are. Oh, we don't know what antibiotics are. Wait, we don't know what bacteria are. World War One is going to be fought in 20 years with horses. The automobile hasn't been invented. The telegraph is like hot shit. And railroads are so terribly important. And Rockefeller's about to, you know, make all of his money. And Standard Oil and the Great Depression hasn't happened yet. There's no microchips. There's no nothing. You're still alive today. And look at the progress over that 120 years. And if you're telling me that given what we know now about the human body, given machine learning, artificial intelligence, the Human Genome Project, and all of the things that we've done. The tests that are available for yeah. the comfort of your own home. Exactly. If you can't do 50% better than today's best over the next 100 years, it's because a comet hit the planet. Like, they, they, there's no other way. We, we have to do it. And on top of that, I've run an anti-aging group for 20 years, and I've been interviewing people, um, the top experts in the world about this on my show. And when you're on faculty at Harvard, and you're willing to stand up and put your tenureship on the table and say, we can now reverse the biological aging clock in cells. It's not because you're trying to sell a book. It's because you actually figured out how to do it in the lab, and you're telling people that. And you spent 10 years doing the research. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's real, and it's happening. And the other thing, Gabe, that's probably going on with you is you think of old age, and you think of diapers and tubes and not remembering your own name and being entirely dependent on someone else and having transparent skin, right? Well, that's what you don't want to happen. I mean, that's, yeah. I would love to live to, I was more for me, like, because I have, same with Rach, fairly long living families. Right. Mm. Not maybe in terms of what you're talking like about. Like mid-90s. But, but yeah, 90s, and I yeah. learned the other day that even I had uh, a great aunt who lived to 106. Wow. So we have the longevity on our side, but I go, if I'm going to live that age, I don't want to be 106 and you know, bedridden. In a diaper. Yeah. Or something like yeah. that. I want to be somebody who's functioning mm-hmm. properly and enjoying life. And I mean, that would be the goal. The The role of old age is to be the village elder. Mm-hmm. And it's to actually be able to have lived enough to have gained wisdom and then to maintain energy so that you can use the energy to give back to the community. Because you can solve a problem. You, oh, yeah, I've seen that five times. <laughs> right? Happens about every 20 years. I figured that out when I was 45. Like, that is the most amazing knowledge that you'll ever get. Because every generation's like, well, I wish those young kids weren't so crazy. Every old person has said that. And every young person said, those old people just don't get it. And this has been happening for like 10,000 years or something. So given all these things, when you start seeing cycles and recognizing them, if you maintain your brain and you maintain your cardiovascular system and you don't get cancer and you do these other seven pillars of aging that I wrote about, 
There is abundant evidence, and there's plenty of compounds that will extend human lifespan by 20% here, rats by 90% over here. So at this point, there's enough knowledge, enough momentum, that the snowball's already started rolling down, it's already gaining momentum, and it is inevitable unless overregulation tries to stop it. And guess what? Regulation doesn't work globally. So if the US doesn't do it, they'll do it in Japan because they have more old people than the US and they'll reverse their age because they don't have enough kids. China will do it because they actually have a problem with many old people and not enough young people because of the one child policy. So from a global perspective, countries will have to do this and the ones that don't will literally get left behind because old people will kick other old people's asses when those old people are acting like young people. That's just how humans are gonna be. Mm-hmm. So is it gonna be you're gonna live longer because of what you do right now? Yeah. Or is it gonna be because of what you can do in the future with new technology? Or is it a combination of it, all of it? It's both. it's both. If you beat yourself up, and you eat a bunch of junk food, and you don't take care of yourself now, it's gonna be really hard to reverse that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just with preventative maintenance right now, if you can be the old person who's like, man, you know, I'm 90 and I can't find anyone of my friends to play tennis with me, right? We know people like that. It's not by accident that they end up that way. There's some genetics, but a lot of it is just lifestyle. But along the way... Did you know that Gabe has a predisposition to obesity? Really? He totally looks like it. (laughs) (laughs) I'd never believe it. He did some cheat time. Nice. That is so cool. But that's what's going to happen. What do you think, Lana? Do you think I'm nuts? No, I don't think you're nuts. And I think also that some people also just genetically, I think, are better equipped to live longer and be healthier. I mean, my dad is a case in point, you know, he's 77 and he skis down every black slope in Whistler and he's the one complaining there are no friends my age who can ski with me anymore. So he skis with 40 year olds now. So his skiing buddies are 35, 40 years younger than he is. So let's like turn everyone (laughs) on Vancouver Island into self-care biohackers. And we'll, we'll just have do this it, incredible community. Just turn everyone on the planet into them. Absolutely. It, it, yeah. Because a lot of this stuff doesn't cost anything or it's okay. exceptionally affordable and the returns are very, very immediate. Would you find that a lot of the people that work with you, follow you, they're wanting to extend their life, feel good, look good in the process because they have a higher purpose as well? Um, there are some people who follow me because they have a higher purpose. There's a lot of people who haven't figured out their purpose yet, and it's totally okay if you're there, especially if you know, you're know you under about 35. It's not that abnormal. Um, so you're like, I think I want to do this. I think I want to do that. And it's all right to play around. So what everyone wants that's a uniting element there is everyone wants enough energy to know that you can handle everything that the world's going to bring to you today, no matter what it is. And you don't want to be tired. You just want to feel good all the time. You, you, and it's, part of that is happiness, but sometimes it's not even happiness. You just want enough energy to handle things. So even if you're not happy, that's fine. I got this. Mm-hmm. And it's that feeling of safety that comes from knowing that you have an abundance of energy. And that's why I think most people are attracted to Bulletproof. When you look at the numbers, we've done more than 200 million cups of Bulletproof coffee. Uh, the Bulletproof diet, uh, the book and the program online also help people lose a million pounds. But none of that was losing pounds for, oh, I'm just going to look good. Actually, some of it was. Someone came up to me at a hotel once and said, oh, my God, Dave, my, my fiance, we're getting married tomorrow morning, lost all of her weight to fit in her wedding dress on the Bulletproof diet. Will you, will you take a picture with us? So she did use it for weight. But most people, they do it because they want to have brains at work. They want to feel good. And yeah. abs are a side effect. So losing weight's great, but it's not as good as I woke up and I wanted to kick ass today. And, and that's the real precious thing that unites the people following my work is I just want more energy than I need. So imagine someone like Gabriel, who's already yeah. a six-time pro world champion kickboxer, 
he starts to do more of the bulletproof, you know, ways of living. How do you think that would work out for him? Do you know how many world champion athletes do bulletproof? I mean, Nick Foles has been on the show. Um, Let's see, the Bryan brothers, who've won more tennis than any other people on the planet, I think. Um, huge numbers of people, of some of whom I can't talk about because I've, I've done consulting work with them. Um, professional football teams, professional baseball teams, professional um, basketball teams, huge numbers of people drinking Bulletproof, doing the diet or parts of the diet, um, collagen and stuff like that. It turns out that people who are attracted to biohacking sort of in order, when I first started writing about this, it was entrepreneurs and tech people because no one ever talked to them about health ever in a way they could understand and I'm one of those guys. The second thing was Wall Street, because those guys are like, you give me another two minutes to stay awake, you know, to have more energy to handle the market. You know, they, they live just abusive lives. Oh, yeah. And Wolf of needed, Wall Street movie is yeah. perfect. Oh, yeah. They, they need the recovery, right? Because it's a grind. Mm-hmm. Right after that, it was Hollywood. Because, let's see, I have to be able to remember my lines. I have to look good, right? And I need enough energy, and I also want to have a life. And they've, they have circadian disruption. They're flying places. They're doing ab- just... It, unnatural acts. I've been on enough sets now where you're like, they made you do what? <laughs> and you stand there and they do this. So these are the people who have to look good and all those things, perform unlimited energy requirements. They went there first and they started talking about it. So you see Ed Sheeran on you know the red carpet at the Grammys talking about Bulletproof Coffee. I'm like, did that just happen? I love it. And, and you know, Jimmy <laughs> Fallon Shailene and all. Woodley. Yeah, Shailene Woodley. Uh, on Jimmy Fallon. They, they talked about it. Uh, Jim Carrey. He has Bulletproof Coffee in his mug. He spills it on set on, on a talk show and licks it off the table. Of course he will. Of right? course he will. Like, yeah, Jim, it's Jim, Jim Carrey, I love you. Totally. Yeah. And so, so what's going on here? These are people who are all at the very top of the energy demand game and they're doing it. So when people, say, get the ketones from the MCT oil that's part of Bulletproof Coffee and they're professional athletes, like, I just... Actually, this, were there really 15% more uh, electrons available for me? I feel of a surge of energy. And it doesn't mean I'm going to stop what I'm doing, but I might add that in. Mm-hmm. And I recover faster from injuries. That's why a lot of these guys, especially the uh, Nick Foles and the Brand Brothers, they're performing into their 40s, right? This is unheard of in pro sports. But suddenly they're not getting injured and they're not getting old. Right? So with, with you, we dial you in and get you to eat only grass-fed instead of eating some grain-fed and some grass-fed and just things like that. Like, wow, because you're like a, a finely tuned instrument where you feel a small difference in, in how, you know, I got more mobility today. I have a little bit more strength or I was faster. And we can even measure the speed of your brain. I can tell you, my brain is a response of a 20-year-old, right? I'd love to measure yours. Like next time you come up, I'll, yeah. I'll hook you up. Well, that's, that's why. The one thing that I've noticed that uh, you just mentioned before, we were talking about how old people can live, and I've never really put in much research into how people are aging and getting getting better, but athletes, just like you said, that's one thing that is just exploding now. Athletes, you know, in your 20s before, you're done. Mm-hmm. That was it. And then now, at least in the kickboxing and MMA world, most of the high-level guys, the champions, are in their 30s. And there are guys now going into their 40s. And that, like you were just saying, was unheard of a couple decades and, ago. And they win a lot because of wisdom. <laughs> they, they have the wisdom and their bodies are holding up and they know how to train properly. And there's just so many elements. But being able to, that's for me, I don't necessarily want to compete forever because there's the head impact mm. yeah, element to think that. of. Yes, it's not just it's not just playing tennis or something. I don't want to walk out and have brain trauma because... 
poor Rach would be crying, <laughs> but I don't want to have to stop because my body breaks down. Yeah. I want to stop because I decide it's time to stop. That, that's how to do it. it. There's also an argument that says really extreme amounts of training probably make you older. There's a huge number of marathoners who just drop dead and bodybuilders too. So, you know, whether you're doing too much of either cardio or too much of weight building, like in your 50s, you're not going to like what happens. One is too much cortisol. The other is something too much of something called mTOR that increases inflammation. And so what you want to be able to do is be that comfortable medium where you're lean but not too lean, where you're muscular but not too muscular, where you push yourself really hard, but you don't let's do it every day because you take a recovery day. And things like that make people live a lot longer. And coaches didn't know that 25 years ago. No, there's a, there's a lot of knowledge. I mean, even if you don't look at pro athletes, just look at people who take care of themselves, right? I mean, I look at my mother's generation and my grandmother's generation. There's nobody in that generation who in their mid-50s looks the way I do. Mm-hmm. Well, I look at you too. Or some they... of my friends. Like women, just most Great. women just didn't look like that. Why? Yeah. They were not exercising regularly. They were, you know, not taking care of themselves. They were not doing the things that we are doing. Mm-hmm. The, the definition of elder has changed. It's true. It, it's more than that. We used to say that the, the definition of old or an, an elder mm. was 65. So if you're 65 years old you're kind of you're weak you're, you're not good for working well about 25 years ago in the mid 90s people who were 65 were like screw you guys we're not done yet and in fact we're feeling just fine we like our lives we have active sex lives we have convertibles um life is good yeah i do vaginal rejuvenation on women in their 60s and 70s yeah. and yeah. super vibrant women well into their 90s and men they're yeah, still they're using them mm-hmm. right so their quality of life is good mm-hmm. and so the researchers said, hmm, we don't know if we believe you. But these people were objecting to being called elder. So one of the measures of age is grip strength, right? And of course, that matters a lot if you're grappling with someone. And you can measure this with a digital thing called a dynamometer. So you, it's a little thing. You squeeze it really hard, and it says, how hard are you squeezing? And when I started doing that, I said, great. Look, it says I'm 18, so apparently I'm doing something right. <laughs> and you probably have a very strong grip, I guess. You train your grip, okay? I don't actually. You don't? Okay, cool. No. So there's people who can, you know, mash 400 pounds. I'm probably at 250 pounds. I'm fine with that. But when they measured just a broad swath of people across Japan and the U.S., they found magically they weren't old. They had to move the definition in studies of elder to 75 from 65 because no 65-year-old was weak enough to qualify. And that happened, and it didn't make the news. But it happened in multiple studies. So what's happening is we really are not aging as quickly, or at least some of us aren't. But if you're eating the stuff that I write about, you know, the stuff you talk about on the show, uh, that are just a bad idea, yeah, it's going to age you, right? And if <laughs> or you're eating sleep, not in the way that's right for your physiology. Uh, no, you just have to eat the way I tell you. Otherwise, you're a bad person. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're not letting vegans off the hook. If you're vegan, you're going to die. Yeah. I love it. I love it. The rest does it forever, yeah. <laughs> So I have another question here from Katie Type A. When Dave goes on his writing rampages, staying up all night, how do responsibilities shift in the household? I like to send the family away if I do that. That's ideal. We just did it. Yeah. Then I can fast too. It's pretty cool. It was amazing. Kids and I went to Strathcona Provincial Park. We kayaked, we swam, we hiked, we looked at waterfalls, we took friends with us, played board games, we had a blast. He was home. He could just go into his creative mode and write. One of the things that people um, who aren't uh, authors or artists or maybe software developers wouldn't possibly understand is that 
you. There's a, a substantial amount of work required to go into the, the writing state. And some people say, oh, you just have to put a pen to paper, and you can do that. But if you want to get your really best stuff, at least for me and for a lot of people I know, it takes at least 45 minutes to an hour for me to get switched on for that. And then once you do that, you can go for hours and hours unless someone comes up and says, you know, Daddy, can I have a cookie or whatever? Something my kids probably are unlikely to say unless I made the cookies. Daddy, can we make espresso now? They would yeah, come and do and that. They would do the that. espresso machine is in your office. Right, something like that. And you're yep. like, oh, my God, you just cost me an hour to get back into uh-huh. this mode. Don't do that. It's one of the reasons writing at night is better. Plus, mm-hmm. after 11 o'clock, the energy changes and I, can, I do better writing. I, I make better connections late at night. So yep. I would say sending them away or just saying, all right, um, I'm going to sleep in a different bed from Lana in a different bedroom mm-hmm. and I'm going to sleep in until, you know, 10 or 11 or something. Um, but I'm going to stay up until five or six until you know, my brain is empty <laughs> and that that works. But I control my lighting so that I don't ruin my circadian sleep. I literally went from that schedule back to going to bed at 1030 within one day. Yeah, mm-hmm. you did. Yeah. No, we really do that. We actually coordinate ourselves and schedule ourselves pretty well. And I actually understand him because through my years when I worked very intensely as a physician, you know, if I could just put myself in his shoes and go, well, if I was working really hard and focusing on, on a difficult case, uh, would I want somebody come and, you know, pull on my sleeve and go, uh, dinner's going to be in five minutes. Can you just drop everything and come now? Or I'm stuck in traffic. Can you go pick up the kids? Like, it just doesn't work. It breaks your flow. It really does. But but it doesn't happen that often. I mean, it's, it's I do just, a book about every year. Yeah, yeah. you do. But it's, it's not like it's weeks and weeks and weeks. This is more intense periods that are manageable. I, I tend to chunk it yeah. for, for sure. And, and also, for some people, being an author is a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm a dad and I am... I have four companies that I'm helping to grow right now as CEO. <laughs> and I have a team of dozens of people outside of Bulletproof, the company where I'm chairman and founder. Uh, and so that level of responsibility uh, on top of being a writer and with a podcast you know, with uh, 175 million downloads, each of those is a full-time job. So I'm just really militant about if I'm going to write, uh, I'm going to do that. And if I don't write, it actually... it. It doesn't feel good mm-hmm. because there's information that I end up putting together when there's enough of it, like that little buffer in my head's full. And then if I don't write that down and share it, then it just doesn't feel right. So I got to write it down anyway. Mm-hmm. So it feels good for you to function that way. It, it's a creative thing if yeah. you don't do your creative endeavor. So for me, it's like playing with information and to understand the connections that no one else saw and mm-hmm. then putting it out there. Mm-hmm. And I've been surprisingly prescient in some of those things where... Oh, yeah. I knew that was true, and I wrote that it was likely true, and then five years later, a study comes out. I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. So it's yeah. like sort of blocking out any type of distraction so that yeah. you can stay on track with your life's purpose. Yep. It's true, and it helps having a partner who supports you in that and also can entertain herself. I mean, I don't feel neglected when he says, oh, today after dinner, as soon as we've said goodnight to the kids, I'm going to go right, and I'll be there for four or five hours, and you won't see me. I'm just like, great, I'll sit and drink tea and read a book. <laughs> I'm good. That's fantastic. She has a real problem with tea addiction. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. (laughs) It's never been cured. So final question here. What practice, habits, or routines has had the biggest impact on your relationship? Good one. So whenever people say good one or that's a good question, it means they're buying time for thinking. So go ahead, Lana. You can have all the time. I (laughs) I think realizing that we honestly must, and that's a word we don't use often, but I'm just going to use it must schedule things. Like mm-hmm. we, 
need to be militant about scheduling. Mm-hmm. I think that would, I would say that's probably the biggest impact, the one habit that we do constantly. Um, because otherwise, given all he just said, you know, CEO of four companies, his, his calendar is so full and so booked that when I realized, okay, this is the same as when I was booking patients, you know, with my staff. And I was like, ooh, I gotta do the same thing with my husband. I can't just spring things on him because if I do, it's not gonna work. Not only is he unlikely to be available, but it's also going to be annoying and irritating to him and then I'm gonna be disappointed and, you know, because I had expectations, etc. So that took a while, but I think that's the habit I would say has been most helpful for us to make things work smoothly. If you can save four minutes a day, and if you're listening to this, you're like, Dave, you're such a jerk or a dork. Four minutes, who cares? But think about this, four minutes a day for a year, it's 24 hours. That's three full working days, right? With one change in your habits. So one of the things that was one of my most popular posts on either Instagram or Facebook, um, was I said, here's a hack for you. And it's buy a second dishwasher. And I don't know if that would be at the very top of my list, but we went back and forth and I said, you know what? I've identified that we're wasting like 20 minutes a day between kids complaining and us spending time loading and unloading the dishwasher. We're at home all the time. So you know, we're doing three meals a day or two meals a day when we're intermittent fasting. And it's, it's just too much and it's creating chaos. So we're getting a second dishwasher. And Lana said, we don't need one of those. I'm Swedish. I didn't get the connection, but... I did not say that. He's so left so throwing that she in. did. Uh-uh. And she said, it has to be Miele if we get one. That's different. Um, totally not Swedish. Everybody she, knows Miele is German. And then she threw <laughs> then she threw her Volvo car keys up. Anyway. Oh, yeah, right. Um, but what, uh, what happened is I said, I am not touching dishes until we get a second dishwasher. And then for two years, I had such bliss because she resisted for two years. No, I didn't. Come on, Dave. <laughs> she did. No, it was several months. I just felt that I I never had a dishwasher in my life until I moved to America. But you were right. It's true. When when I got a second dishwasher, and I will just tell you, okay, a second dishwasher costs, I don't know, $1,000 or something for a decent dishwasher and plus installation. Okay. That is the cost of four visits to a therapist. Okay. And it changes your life. Because now there's always clean dishes and you just find the dishwasher that looks like it has holes in it and you put your dirty stuff in there and you can run it. And the amount of <laughs> bitching well, from... what if you put, like, dirty dishes in the clean Run it again. Who cares? It's not going to hurt anybody. The amount of bitching from the kids, the amount of time that we've saved has... So funny. That's enough for me to write a book every 18 months just from the second dishwasher. But I do apply that to, you know, throughout, throughout everything I can. Like, I just don't want to waste time on that, right? And I don't want to waste anyone in the family's time. And so I, I work on teaching the kids and working with Lana... Um, together to just teach them like look if you do something that saves you one second that costs someone else 10 seconds that's not okay but if you delay something that costs you one second that costs someone else a second that's okay so we just work throughout the day to just say like how do we not disrespect the family uh, by wasting everyone's time by you know carelessly doing stuff and it's tough with kids because they do that that is true that's what happens when you are with a process systems engineer analyst genius you know (laughs) Master of the universe, right? Uh, but it's true. He does think, 
Because, I mean, trained as a doctor, of, of course, I had a lot of, we had a lot of processes in place for various things in the emergency room. You know, what do you do if this happens? Where's this? Where's that? Like, everything was in its place. It's fantastic. So I didn't run my home at all like I would run the emergency room. So I would put things wherever I just put them, and then I would go and look for them. I mean, sure, I had a drawer where I had cutlery, and I had a cupboard where I had my glasses and plates, but other things could just sort of float around. And then I meet Dave, and he's like, what do you mean you don't always put the cutting boards in the same place? How am I supposed to find them if they're not always in the same place? And I'm like, well, they live in the kitchen, don't they? Just look around the kitchen. And he says, why would I do that? Why would I spend my time looking around the kitchen in three or four random places till I find them? That's going to be minutes every week. And when he first said that, it's like, you're such a dork. She actually pepper sprayed me when I said that. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, I kicked your ass. Anyway. <laughs> and Canadian like, pepper spray for the listeners is? Bear spray. Bear right. spray. <laughs> anyway, no, we didn't do any of that. But but I was really not understanding. I said, why are you complaining about this even? And then all of a sudden I was just like, oh, wait a minute. If I didn't have to look for the cutting boards or scissors or whatever it is, wouldn't that be nice? And then you have children and they introduce a degree of chaos and unpredictability. You can just imagine if you don't have kids, it's unimaginable. So suddenly you realize, oh, wait, there's two more people who create chaos. This is not a good thing. So that's a habit we really did. And we're pushing really hard to keep implementing that. If, yeah. if you take it up a level, it, the habit that I would probably identify is not two dishwashers, although, God, that's so good. Um, it's to always respect, first, energy it takes to do something, second, time it takes to do something, mm. and third, money it takes to do something, in that order, right? So don't waste your energy, because that's really precious. You have yeah. to eat stuff and take in air and then combine them to make energy. And if you're not really good at doing that, which most people aren't, when, every time you do that, you get a little bit inflamed. So like, don't waste energy. It's dumb. And then don't waste time. But frankly, who cares if you waste time? If you're too tired to enjoy your time, the time is of very little value. And if you die and you're tired and you're super busy and you have a ton of money, who cares? It's worthless. Mm-hmm. right? And so I work with the kids to teach them the same thing. And we'll have that question. Okay, so is this going to make you really tired? Is it a huge waste of your energy? Is it a huge waste of your time? And is it a huge waste of your money? And granted, for a kid, a couple bucks is a different amount of money than it is for an adult. But we have the conversation. And I take that when I make a product. When I make the Bulletproof coffee, when I make the protein bars that we make, it's that same kind of a mindset. People care about energy first, at least people who follow me usually do. And that's a precious thing. And that's why um, bureaucracy is evil. I loved your mention about two dishwashers because Gabriel and I are just about to start our renovations. And we are going to bulletproof our house. So Yay. I want your lights. I want two dishwashers. We'll, we'll get you <laughs> some of them. For two people. Or there's not going to be any mold. We're going to be spraying all of our windowsills all the time. And anyways, I'm going to be... We'll, we'll get you the true light, the, the light bulbs, the oh, true yeah, light ones definitely. that are good for you. I'm so, really excited so, about that. Dave, you're all about saving minutes, which has turned into hours and weeks and days. Yeah. You can write a book every two years if you don't screw around dishes every day, at least if you cook at home like everyone does now. And then Lana, you... Efficient. You are all about, as, as well you, Dave, but what, what the big thing that I got from you through the whole thing is being grateful. You, you talked about that a number of times and being grateful for the time that we have, even if it's not what we exactly want to be doing. And that's something that uh, Rachel and I have tried. And I think it's something that everybody could learn to really appreciate. Just 
stopping sometimes and going, we're really lucky. For me, that was a big thing because I come from a family of perfectionists, insanely high achievers, extremely critical people, and nobody was really grateful for anything there. Everybody was always, oh, so you got an A on this exam. Well, why didn't you get an A plus? None of this, well done, honey, and a good job, and this is good. Mm -mm. So I used to joke about my mother. I used to say, you know, if I got nominated and won the Nobel Prize, she would look at me and she would say, you know what? There are people who have won two Nobel Prizes. Oh, no. Oh, absolutely, no, I mean that, not because you know I want to be critical of my mom, but that's the sort of environment I grew up in, mm. that I've sort of learned to step back and think, okay, what am I actually grateful for? What have I put my time into? How fortunate are we, really? That, that's been a big change for me. It's really impacted my quality of life. And it also makes me able to appreciate things that I don't do, but other people do better. So, you know, I don't have a desire to run Bulletproof, for instance, but I appreciate that Dave does. And I'm grateful he gets to do it and do his entrepreneurial and creative work because I can see that that's really one of his purposes here. It's helping a lot of people. And I'd love to conclude this conversation with gratitude to both of you for the work that you're doing, the millions of lives that you both are impacting with your various companies. You're helping people live their best lives, both body, mind, spirit, and energy. And I really commend you both for taking the time to do that and just being the wonderful humans that you are. Thank you for being on the show today. Oh, thanks. Thanks for the work you're doing with the show. It's awesome. Thank you for having us, Rachel. Thank you, everyone, for joining us in this particularly special interview with Dave and Lana Asprey. What a treat for my husband and I to ask them some questions that I don't know if they've ever really been asked in interviews before, but these are two very highly functioning individuals that are really working hard to make this world a better place please go ahead and check out everything. Dave Asprey at daveasprey.com. Get your hands on Lana's book, The Better Baby Book. And also don't forget to register for Dave Asprey's 14-day sleep challenge that you can get at daveasprey.com. Please go ahead and subscribe to this channel. Leave a podcast review. I would love to hear from you. Let me know what you enjoyed in this episode, what you'd like to learn more about in future episodes, and please send me an email. You can reach me directly at info at rachelvarga.ca. And if you'd like to book a one-on-one -on -one call with me and learn the many ways to age impossibly well from the inside and out, all of that information is available. My contact information, booking information, you can find at rachelvarga.ca. You can hang out with me at Rachel Varga Official on Facebook and Instagram, and also on the Rachel Varga YouTube channel. I love you so much. Thank you for joining, and I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you in the next episode right here on the Rachel Varga Podcast.